0: You know, uh, George Bailey, remember him? How many know who I'm talking about, George Bailey, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? I know, boys and girls, youngsters, it's black and white, so it couldn't possibly be a good movie, right? It's a great movie, you need to watch it. Anyway, in that movie, George Bailey has a lot of natural, raw talent and intelligence, and he is, he is going places. He has huge, huge dreams. And then there's that scene where he and Mary are walking along and they're throwing rocks at the old building. And if you hit the, if you hit the glass of one of the windows and knocks it out, you get your wish. And uh, at that moment, you know, he says to her, I, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and, and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town from my feet, and I'm going to go to Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here, and I'm going to go to school and see what they know, and then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories tall. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Well, thank you. And then you hear a shatter of glass, and Mary has hit the window. He's like, what did you wish for, Mary? You know what she wished for? That none of his dreams would come true. It, it, it's true. Like, he's, he's dreaming of the world, and she asks in her wish that he would marry her and stay in Bedford Falls. So now you know the rest of the story. It, she was like a witch that kept him in Bedford Falls. She, yeah, it was the power of her wish that, that kept him there, according to the whole movie, if you really follow it. Um, how many of you ever feel a bit kind of twitchy about reaching your full potential? You're, 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 I'm going to just assume for the moment that you're a Christian. You want to achieve God's purpose for your life. You want your destiny, and you have big dreams of, of what you want to do for God, and yet sometimes you fear, I don't know, a bad wish on somebody's part or whatever it might be. You worry that you're not actually going to end up. Achieving what it is you're, you're wanting to achieve. If that's the case, if that's who you are today, this, is, this is, sermon is definitely for you. The big idea today is trust Christ to get you to your, slash, <laughs> His kingdom destination. And I word it that way because if, if we're talking about some narcissistic dream of self-aggrandizement, then that's not what I'm talking about. But if you are in Christ and you have a heart to do whatever it is for God, to use your talents for Him and to reach His destiny for you, that's going to happen. And you can take that to the bank. So Paul's not yet at Rome. That's his destiny, at least for the time being. In the short term, he's supposed to get to Rome. He's supposed to testify there in front of the emperor. And at this point, it says, after we were brought safely through, this is after the shipwreck, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Malta. And I think it's funny the way Luke words this. I don't think Malta must have been a very well-known island to the people of of that time period. It has since become much more known to us. We think of the Maltese Falcon. We think of the little dog, the Maltese, and and so forth. But it wasn't terribly well-known to them. Anyway, uh, the sea did not get Paul did not take him out. And the first thing we're going to see here is that God provides for you. He provides for you. In the shipwreck, they lost everything. They had the shirts on their back. They, they had a piece of the ship that they floated in on. And that's all they have. But what we're going to see is, is how well they're provided for while they're on this strange island. It says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So in this area, the world cold probably means at least 50 or maybe a little below. I and mean, It's a warm, otherwise warm, tropical area. But, but yeah, probably 50 degrees, winds blowing, the rain's coming down. They've been shipwrecked. They, they are in danger of hypothermia. But what we find out is these people here are very kind. Uh, Luke refers to them, uh, well, in the translation it says native people. The actual word he used is barbaroi. Barbaroi. What does that sound like? Barbarian. And you've probably learned in school how the word barbarian came about. It, it may have even been mentioned when you learned what the word onomatopoeia meant. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it is. When they heard foreigners speaking, what they heard was bar, 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 bar. And so they just took that and referred to foreigners as barbarians. You know, people of a strange tongue, people that aren't civilized like you and me. That's, it wasn't politically correct at the time either, but that's what they called them. Despite this... Despite the fact that culturally they're different and they speak a different language, the Maltese inhabitants are really salt of the earth folk. They build a fire and they, they warm up our marinated mariners. Um, that's their first pressing need. Paul and friends are wet, again, probably suffering from hypothermia, and they, they see their need. And rather than just sort of let, well, we don't know who these people are, you know, we're not going to take care of them, what, you know, there won't be enough island for the rest of us. They, they receive them, they take them, they build fires, they, they warm them up. And then if you'll just jump ahead with me a little bit to verse 10, because I'm, I'm on this idea of provision here. If you look at verse 10, as they're about to leave the island after having productive ministry, which we'll see in a moment, it says, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Isn't that interesting? So Paul is, is greeted like a family member. He's washed ashore with people of a strange tongue who do not know him, but they welcome him as if he's a member of their family. His needs are met. By the time he leaves, they replace everything that he had aboard the ship effectively. Isn't that? I mean, yeah, I'm not saying they gave him enough to retire on. It's not like they gave him a a villa uh, on the uh, Amalfi coast or something like that, but he receives a full supply of whatever he needed. Isn't this interesting? It's kind of reminiscent when he was at Sidon at the very beginning of the voyage. Remember, they they were allowed to stop and he saw uh, Christian friends in Sidon and they supplied all his needs for the journey. That was wiped away and now God replaces what had been taken away in the the wreck. This is miraculous provision. Now, is that true for us? I believe that this is true for ordinary Christians as well. For, no, for us non-apostles, I think this is true. When you think about the Philippians, Philippians were just ordinary Joe Christians like you and me. They had supplied Paul. They had um, sent him money and, and, and other things to help in his ministry. And that's where you have that famous verse in Philippians 4.19 where Paul is speaking to them and he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How many Christians today can say, God has been faithful to you and provided for you? Good, yeah. And as a church, collectively, and I really like, you know, I prefer applications that kind of catch us as a collective, you know, body, other than just individuals. When you think about his faithfulness to this church, has he not been faithful again and again? And how many times has he tested our faith? Those of you who have been elders, how many have felt your uh, faith just a little bit tested through these last 15 years? Every year, I tell you, every year there's some moment, and it's usually hitting us about June or July, although not always the same, but almost every year, Don, am I right? And we're sitting there, we're looking at the numbers, and oh man, the pessimism rolls out, and and you hear people say things, it's, it's doom and gloom, and and I've probably at times felt that way or said that too. But, but honestly, it's, it is so interesting that we, all, we, we end up saying, but you know, but you know, come December, you wait. And I mean, we have gone to the, like, we've been in the red all the way up to about December 31st. And it's amazing how year after year God's brought us into the black. And that is just the faithfulness of God. God's resources are absolutely overflowing when it comes to accomplishing His purpose. And that's not health and wealth kind of theology talk. I'm simply saying that we should not fear that we are somehow going to miss God's purposes for us. That we're going we're, we're to fail to achieve the destiny that God has in mind for us because somehow resources are going to fail. God knows and God provides. And God will get you where God wants to get you, Christian. Secondly, he protects you. I, I love the way Luke relates um, this, this next thing with comedic timing. Now, I'm going to read this to you, and I just ask you, I invite you. I'm sorry, I'm hooked a little funny here with my mic. But um, just listen to the timing and t- see if you don't kind of see the humor. Luke is such a wonderful writer. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, just kind of play this out in your head in order as it flows. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're catching what I find funny about that, but, it, but the way Luke breaks it up, it's almost like, you know, he puts the sticks into the fire, viper comes out, gets on his hand, and then you have this whole interlude where the, where the viper is still hanging there, and these people are talking to each other about, I wonder what this means. Now, I don't think it quite played out that way. Not exactly. But... <laughs> I think he shook it a little quicker than than the text implies here. But but anyway, yeah, he, he gets bit and he shakes it off. He commits serpentside. He commits serpentside, which which is not approved behavior by Peter. Peter's very upset with this particular passage. But in any event, in any event, uh, they're they're looking at him and they're whispering and they're waiting for him to die. But Paul once more proves to be, as I've called him many times, honey badger. I don't know if you know this or not, but honey badgers are pretty much immune to poisonous snakes. They get bit, they take a little nap, they wake back up, they're fine. That's that's kind of Paul. All kidding aside, we assume that the locals knew their snakes, that they knew it was deadly. They are waiting for him to swell and swoon, you know, to bloat and float. It says they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. What's going on here exactly? What do you see happening? For the Christian or the Jewish person reading this, what's, what are they going to think when they, when they read of a serpent attacking one of God's people? Aren't you going to think Satan? Aren't you going to think of the activity of Satan? Paul is not under the power of Satan. He's not harmed because of the power of God for the glory of the gospel. There's a passage in Scripture that many people, I think, don't understand, or don't understand at least rightly, and that's at the end of the book of Mark. Now, if you get to the end of the book of Mark, the last 12 verses are in brackets, and it will say that these verses uh, are not in the most reliable ancient manuscripts. So, be that as it may, I don't mind including them for the sake of this discussion, at least. It says there, "...and these signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons." They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, what this passage is saying, I believe, is not suggesting that every believer is supposed to go about doing these kinds of things. I believe that that the end of the book of Mark there is suggesting... That as the gospel, as the kingdom goes forward, as we see it in the book of Acts... ...that those signs would happen among them. That from time to time that God would display his power in these sorts of ways. It's not that we should bring rattlesnakes into the church... It sounds like a joke, but people actually do that in some parts of the country. And, you know, routinely have, invite people of, of great faith to come up and handle the rattlesnakes here. That's not what it's saying. It is suggesting, though, that, that as God goes about bringing about the kingdom, that those signs were to follow him, during the, especially during the apostolic years. But I'd like to expand this a little bit over just the demonic here for a moment. Paul is not only immune to the power of Satan here, but he is also immune to what we might call fate or the gods. Did you notice, you probably did not, that the word... Some people are observant. I guess you might have seen this. But in some translations, the J in justice is capitalized. Did anybody see that? Did anybody... Did that jump out at you? The reason in English that they capitalize justice in some translations is because the word that Luke uses here, it's not our abstract idea of justice. That's, justice is an abstract noun in English. It just means that sort of principle of fairness and equity and punishing the guilty and acquitting the innocent and all of these things. But the word that Luke uses is actually a Greek goddess, the goddess of justice. And so when the islanders see this this snake, their first thought is, is that, that Paul has murdered someone and this goddess of justice is catching up with him. But Paul is free of Satan, free from the venom of snakes, the fate of any god or goddess or angel or demon. He belongs to the Lord. Nothing and no one can set aside God's intended purpose for him. No one will prevent Paul from reaching the destiny promised to him by Christ for the sake of the gospel. And that's just the end of it. Full stop. End of sentence. This is a wonderful testimony to the power of Christ. When he doesn't die, they think he's a god. They think he's a god. Remember back in Acts 14 at Lystra, the same kind of thing happened? It was a little different there. I mean, Paul and Barnabas had healed the, the man in the name of Jesus. He'd healed the lame man. And all at once, they were all worked up, and they started calling Paul Hermes and Barnabas Zeus. You remember that? And they brought bulls, and they were going to have a whole sacrificial, you know, worship service thing. How many remember that kind of, sort of, yeah? Not quite the same thing. Paul. It doesn't even tell us that Paul tried to say anything against it or dissuade them. I think the reason is, is this didn't turn into a full-blown worship service. It's more like they were whispering to each other, like, what do you think? What do you, wait, you think he's a god? I don't know. He might be an avenger at least. You know, he's something. He's not, this is not a normal guy. How do we apply this? How do we take this, this truth to ourselves? Sadly, there are modern Christians who will take it one direction, and I think it's a wrong direction. It's kind of the name it, claim it, power encounter kind of thing. And their belief is is that if you have enough faith and you say the right things with your mouth, that you can claim this, that you can pray this down, and then you can pick up and you can handle snakes or whatever the the case may be. I I don't think that's how we are to apply it. Now, are there modern stories of people experiencing miraculous protection? Absolutely. Absolutely. You've heard stories of missionaries, and these are hard to confirm. Usually it's hard to source these, but you've heard stories of missionaries that have been walking through a dark you know, area, and there's people ready to attack them, and later, after they don't attack them, they tell the story that, well, we were going to attack you, but then we saw these you know, 12 huge guys walking behind you, and we you know, decided not to do that, and then of course, the guy was walking alone, so angels, right? Yeah, I, I don't doubt that, some, that that has probably happened. I think of the story of the five, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the others who were killed by the, by the Alka. They no longer call them that, but that's what I remember, the Alca Indians in Ecuador. How many remember that story? Yeah, and they, and they were killed before they ever were able to successfully bring the gospel to those natives. Now, later... After the fact, after Nate Saint's wife and others went back and preached the gospel to them and they became saved and became followers of Christ, they later told them, they said, you know, when we killed your your husband and the others, there were others there as well. Well, what do you mean there? No, there were no others. There were just five of these guys. No, there were others, and they were up above the trees. And when we killed your husband and the others, they started singing. It was a different outcome, but still the protective... Yeah, the, 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 you know the work of angels. Now we do not claim. My point is, as as believers, we're not in control of those things. We we don't claim to be bulletproof. Rather, we trust God to protect us and deliver us to our destiny, the destiny that He has for us for His kingdom, and that can be before we ever tell the gospel to the to the natives. It can be long after we've shared and converted. It's in God's hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are examples of this. Remember when they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Some people would have you believe that they walked into there absolutely being certain that they weren't going to face any harm. But listen to their words. because yeah, I'm not sure that this would count as a positive confession according to how some people view this. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, able, able to deliver us, from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You and I are not at the whim or or the authority of Satan, serpents, Fate, bad DNA, dumb luck, whatever else you might want to bring in there. We belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. And fear not, God will accomplish his purposes for us for his glory. So seek his kingdom and trust. Pray. Have faith. Know that all things are under God's control. Your life is under his authority. He has the very hairs of your head numbered. And I have that on good authority. Because Jesus said that. Jesus said that, that his father knows when a sparrow falls. And he said, you are worth more than many sparrows. Our lives are in his hand. He protects us. He brings us to our destiny. Whether that destiny is Rome or Great Bend or Ecuador Indonesia. He's going to provide, he's going to protect. Thirdly, your last certainty is that he uses you. Do you ever, did you, do you or have you ever felt just kind of stuck like you were spinning your wheels? When I was a very, very young Christian and a young man, coincidentally, um, those don't always go together, but it happened to be true, um, sitting at my desk at Taylor University, I can just picture the whole kind of moment. And um, Taylor University, for those who don't know, is a Christian college in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of central Indiana, surrounded by nothing but more cornfields. And I felt trapped. I'd wanted to go to this school so badly. And there I was, I was sitting there and I thought, I am surrounded by Christians and cornfields. This is terrible. Because I can't do anything for the Lord. What can I do for the Lord? I can't even win someone to Christ. They're already all one to Christ. And, and it was just, I can remember just being depressed about it and thinking, man, I just want to go. I just want to get out there. I just want to do something for the Lord. Have you ever felt anything akin to that? Is that? Yeah? Does that ring any? And I think it was immaturity. I think it's that kind of sort of narcissism that we're guilty of as Christians. Like, we want to do great things for the Lord, so our name is on the marquee. <laughs> you know? Billy Graham, today Billy Graham, tomorrow Jay Bowie, ah, Ooh. Yeah. So look at the remaining verses of our passage. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick and with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him, visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases all came and were cured. By the way, just to make another quick observation under point number one, it says that they were entertained there for three days. It does not mean juggling acts and things like that. It. it means they were taken care of. They were fed well and given a nice place to sleep and so on. So God's still in the, in the work of, of providing here. But Paul didn't simply rest after his ordeal he didn't kick back he didn't relax instead we find out that Publius's father uh, Publius by the way there's like the Roman governor was called the chief man of the island that was the term used but his father is lying sick there and uh, he has uh, fever and dysentery now that to me sounds like Luke the physician kind of giving it his diagnosis doesn't it to you and that's, that's what it fell under, fever and dysentery. What we actually know is that this is prob- there's a, a known disease that's in Malta. It, it comes from a microbe. I guess it's kind of like, it's like uh, what, what used to occasionally happen before we um, pasteurized milk. But in goat's milk, you could get this microbe. And it would give you a fever, it would give you dysentery. And this would last for months. In fact, there were cases where it would last for years years even paul comes in prays for him lays hands on him and he is healed not in months but in moments and the effect is so profound that the word gets out goes all the way around the island and pretty soon i don't know what the population that island was at the time but but all of the people brought their sick to paul and paul paul prayed and they were cured that had an incredible impact we know that the impact, by the way, was, was considerable, again, by verse 10, which we already read, but they were so grateful, again, there, that they, that they supplied all of their needs and provisions. Also, by the way, Luke doesn't tell us this, but according to history, Publius it becomes the first Christian on the island of Malta. I rather would like to believe that. Don't know it to be true. It's not in the Word of God, but that's what history tells us. My point, point here, Paul is useful at every point along the way. He is useful wherever he is along the journey. Paul's not fretting that he's going to be George Bailey, you know, stuck in Bedford Falls. Like, oh, poor pitiful me, I'm, I'm stuck in Malta. What can I possibly do for the Lord seeing how my destination is Rome? Paul just views every day and every place alike. Every day and every place is a time and a place to serve the Lord. Now, Paul is doing a kind of authenticating miracles true of apostles, but can we take this principle to ourselves and apply it as well? Rather, I mean, we're not going to be praying and, and, and curing people with, with some sort of instantaneous apostolic healing power, but what can we do for the Lord right here and right now? We can offer a cup of water in Jesus' name. We can pray for people and see answered prayer in their lives. We can can talk to people. We can listen to people. We can show compassion to them in Jesus' name. We can give them good books. We can give them the scripture. We can feed them. We can carry their mat and open up a hole in the roof and and drop them down in front of Jesus. We can bring them through the gospel to the same Jesus that, that, that Paul proclaimed. They can hear the same gospel and they can be saved. We don't have to wait for the spiritual equivalent or the, or the Christian equivalent of America's Got Talent. The idea that we have to wait around for God to do something really big and really important and really huge so that everybody will see the huge and important thing that God is doing in our life. We don't have to wait for that. We, we can serve him now. We can be useful. So look for that. The bottom line, Christian, is He began a good work in you, and He will bring it to completion. He will bring us bring it to the t- t- telos. Have you heard that Greek word? The telos it means the end, the, the completion. God is going to get you there. Trust that. Expect that. Trust Him to provide for you, to protect you, and use you along the way for His good pleasure. Don't get caught up in the fear that some. Some chick breaking glass in a window up there is going to you know, get you stuck somewhere you didn't belong. You're going to be right. If it's Bedford Falls, if it's Great Bend, if it's Timbuktu, it doesn't matter. God is going to fulfill his purposes for you. If you don't have Christ, your destiny is a little different. Truthfully, I can't say literally what your destiny is because I don't know what you'll do as a result of hearing the gospel. If you do not respond to the gospel, what the Bible says your destiny is, and this is a sad thing for me to have to say, but it says that that your destiny is in outer darkness. Not my words, the words of Jesus. A place of outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing And gnashing of teeth. Why are they weeping and wailing? Because they are apart from God in darkness for all eternity. And I would not wish that destiny on anyone. On anyone. And so we proclaim the gospel to you today. You may feel that your life has been determined by things outside of your control, a lot of people do. A lot of people in addiction feel like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, everything was against me. Everything was lined up against me. I couldn't help it. I had to, had to give in to the drugs or the alcohol because of all the bad things. You know, and you think your life is out of control. You think it's, it's fate. You think it's genetics. You, whatever. Bad luck. Hard knocks. But I'm here to tell you today that those things do not determine your destiny if you turn from your sin. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ your destiny completely changes. You go from a place of darkness. You're in darkness now, but but instead of a destiny of eternal darkness, you are brought into the kingdom of God's Son, which is a kingdom of light and eternal life with Him forever. And, And we just set both of those things before you today and tell you with all our heart, we want you to choose Christ. We want you to find Him and see your destiny in a whole New way. I have the destiny that's defined by where I am, you may be also. That's Jesus promised his disciples that where I am, you may be also. And we wish that for you. And we ask you to turn to him and receive that destiny. Let's pray. Father, we see your faithfulness to the Apostle Paul as, as he was just given to you and to your work in his life. And though we are not apostles. Though, though we have no claim to such things. Lord we know that we belong to Christ. And that we are in him. We know Lord that you will do exactly in us. These things that we've talked about today. That you will bring us to our destiny. And that while we're on our way there Lord. That you'll protect us. You'll provide for us. And you'll use us. And we would just ask that you would use us more. And give us eyes that we be open and boldness to speak and to serve and to, and to preach wherever we have the opportunity. And Lord, we pray if there's somebody here today that needs you, that Lord, that they would, would become fully aware of, of those two destinies and that their heart would choose you. That they would, that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ today and be saved. We ask this in his name. Amen.